Is work good or bad? Dilbert would say, very bad. In fact, he would echo the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes and say, it's meaningless. But the Bible says that work was intended to be good and then turned difficult and bad and in some ways meaningless when we sinned. But it also says that Jesus Christ is reworking work to be good again. And one day, He will make work perfect. Another question we asked was, why work? Why do we do that? Why get out of bed in the morning? Was it like the seven dwarves, I owe, I owe, off to work I go? We learn the Bible teaches that we work not to be saved or to bring glory to ourselves, but because we are saved and to bring glory to God and serve our neighbors in love. That's big, isn't it? That kind of work, no matter what the job, will bring meaning to your life. Dilbert is missing that. And after these opening messages in this series, we started to get even more practical. Pastor Kirk Albrecht talked about our witnessing at work and our witnessing through our work. And then we did two messages on both working hard and resting well. Working hard and resting well. Remember these questions for those tempted to be slackers or sluggards? Did you work hard this week? Or did you hardly work this week? Or, or here was the follow-up question. Have you rested well this week? Or have you hardly rested this week? Because we learn God cares about both work and rest. And some of us need to repent of laziness and some of us of busyness. And probably we all need to repent some of both. God cares about both our work and our rest. Here's the two questions for today. What do you normally ask a kid about work? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? Not a bad question. It's a good question to ask. Very important for kids to be thinking about this as they grow up. But here's a more important one to add to it. What do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? What do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? When we start asking that question, we're talking about the idea of vocation. Vocation or calling. We use that word a lot more, calling. Today's message is entitled, if you look on the back of your bulletins, Called to Work. Called to Work. And we have all been called to work. And here I'm talking about calling with a capital C, not just that interrupting phone call you get that they need you at your workplace, but a call from God to do some job or jobs, vocation, calling. Now, today's message is going to be different from most of the sermons you hear from me, and that's because vocation or calling is a very different and difficult topic to preach on from the Bible. For one, it's a very complex topic. There are a lot of related concepts that flow into and out of this theme in our Bibles. On one level, it's a very big theme in the Bible and appears all over the place. And yet on another level, it's not a very big topic in the Bible. There aren't that many passages that specifically teach about how God calls people into their normal everyday employments. One of the reasons for that is that in the time of the Bible, and really for most of the rest of human history up till just recently, people didn't have much choice about what they did for work. 
Most people just did what their parents did. Now that's unusual, right? Today, how many of you do what your parents did? As you, what you do for work? Raise your hand high so we can see. Okay? Got a contractor, got a nurse, con, a, a builder. Is that it? Okay, yeah. And you too. Good. Which is bikes, mechanics, mechanics, right. So very, so in human history, it would be the exact opposite. There would be four or five people in a group like this who, who maybe did something different, got moved into something different than what their parents did, and everybody else will just do what their dad did. That's why a lot of people have the last name Smith, right? Because their family were Smiths. They built things. Or uh, Jesus, he was a carpenter, right? Because Joseph was a carpenter. You were born into your work. Our hide the word memory verse that we've been memorizing. Who is that addressed to? Slave. They didn't have much choice in their careers. And yet they were called, weren't they? They had vocations. So on one level, the Bible is full of the idea of calling. And on another level, it's not really. There aren't a lot of passages about finding your calling in life. But there are a lot of passages about how to live in our callings. You see the difference? Yesterday, I looked up every one. I looked up and read every verse in the New Testament that had the word call, called, or calling, or anything like that in the NIV. Anybody want to take a stab at how many verses I came up with? Throw out a number. 365. Excellent. Okay. I don't know if I said... I don't know if I said. It's actually 292. 292 verses in just the New Testament. Now, I didn't read every one in the Old Testament. Looked them up, but I didn't look at each one. There are 739 verses in both Testaments together that use the word call, called, or calling in the English versions in the NIV. That's a lot of calling. Now, most of those callings are just naming things. He was called Matthew, right? That sort of thing. Okay, it wasn't, it's not a divine summons. It was just a name. A bunch of the rest of them were someone gathering a group together. So Jesus called the disciples, hey, come, I want to talk to you. Right? Or in the book of James, call the elders so they'll pray for you. That, that kind of calling. Just, it's just a, hey, would you come over here? Most of the reference to calling in, in the New Testament are basically one of those two. They aren't about divine calling to vocations or roles or jobs or anything like that. They aren't very, we'll call them theological. But a number of them are very theological. They are God calling someone and giving them something important to do. But most of those callings, it might surprise you to hear, are still not what we might call a job, but rather being called to a relationship. And that's the case in our key verse to start with this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Do you have it in front of you? Let's just read verse 1 for now. Paul is opening up the second half of his letter to the Ephesians. He's been very theological for three chapters, talking about God's grand plan for the universe. And now he's going to turn the corner and get very practical. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your call. Help us to heed your call. 
and hear about it this morning from Your Word. Thank You for the songs we've sung. They're, they're good Reformation Sunday songs to sing about in Christ alone. That's where my hope is found. Help us, Lord, to find our hope in Him alone, who stands before the throne of God for us. A perfect plea. We know we're safe in Him. And because of that, we can live out the callings that You give us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Old King James Version translates Ephesians 4.1 this, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The New American Standard Bible brings out the extra callingness in the Greek. You miss that there's an extra calling when you read the NIV. It says, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You you hear that? Calling called? There are actually two calling words there in the verse. And the Greek word sounds like our English word, kaleo, is the Greek word. It just sounds like call. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is that calling? It's salvation. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, isn't it? Here's main point number one this morning. Two main points. Called to Him. Called to Him. In the Bible, the primary call of God on each believer is a call to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember when we did the uh, Family Bible Week all based on the call? And we had... uh, phone calls all the time up here at the, at the pulpit. In the Bible, the primary call of God on each believer is a call to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So in that sense, our, our whole church is about the call. It's a call to salvation and a call to discipleship. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now what does that look like? Look at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, same word, to one hope when you were called, same word, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So what was this call? It was a call to hope. Verse 4. It was a call to salvation. It was a call to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The primary call on every believer is a call to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. This call is a summons. It's a come you ever call for somebody to come? Hey you, come! And it's also in an invitation kind of call. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Love Him. Know Him. Follow Him. Become like Him. Let me show you this idea and a few other passages that use this same word, call. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Where Paul says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of perfection. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heavenward 
in Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 calls it our heavenly calling. 2 Peter 1.10 urges us to make our calling and election sure. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Do you hear it? The call of God in the New Testament is primarily relational. It's a call to Him. It's a call to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and to walk in that relationship. Paul says here in verse 1, literally, to walk worthy. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If God has saved you by His grace, then your life should show it. If you have been called by God, then God has a calling on you to live out. Does that make sense? Now sometimes that call is general. It goes out to all. Everybody is, we're supposed to spread this call left and right. God is calling people everywhere to repent and trust in the Savior. Come, come, come. But the Bible also uses the word call in a more specific way. Those who have been called are those who have answered the call. Remember last year when we were studying Romans 8.28, or last spring when we were studying Romans 8.28? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Who are they? Who have been called according to His purpose. Those folks have been called in such a way that they answered the call. Hello? Yes, here I am. And because of that, they know that all things work to their good. That's what it means to be called. Every true Christian has been called to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is truly life-changing. It means holiness and hope and love and unity. You still listening to me? I don't want to confuse you. Here's the point. God is calling people to Himself. That's the main point of calling in the New Testament. Have you answered that call? Like the song says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me, calling, O sinner, come home. Have you heard that call and answered it? If not, then I invite you to right now. If you have answered that call, then Paul says, live like it. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you doing that? Does your life match the call? On you. The rest of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, spell out what that looks like. We won't, go, we won't read the rest of the book this morning, but if you want to know whether you're living a life worthy of the call, check out chapter 4 and see if you're doing the things he says there. Read chapter 5, see if you're doing the things he says there. Read chapter 6, see if you're doing the things that he says there. That's living a life worthy of the calling we have received. Holiness and hope and love and unity and humility. Tim McGill talked this morning about humility in our adult Sunday school class. Living out this calling means Christ-likeness, becoming like the One who called us. We are called to Him. And we've been learning that being called to Him means, as well, that we are also called to work for Him. Number two, called to work for Him. Our whole series is called Working for the Lord, right? If our primary calling is a calling to a relationship with Christ, that's discipleship. And we've learned that discipleship gets worked out 
in our work. Our work, we've learned, is worship. Our work is to be discipleship. So we are not only called to Him, we are called by Him to do our work for Him. There are a couple of places in the New Testament where the word calling is used like that. Just a few. Where our calling is tied more specifically to tasks or roles or positions that someone might fulfill. More like what we call being called to a specific job. In the New Testament, most of them are being called to a ministry role, like an apostle. Paul in Romans 1 was called to be an apostle. God summoned him to that role. Hey, Paul, I want you to be an apostle. Paul says, okay, I'll do that. That's in the book of Acts, chapter 13. The Holy Spirit tells the church in Antioch to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. See the two words put together? To the work which I've called them. There's work and calling connected, and it's vocational ministry work. It's supported missionary work. So it's not wrong to call a pastor. I'm glad. Or to say that he is called. Here is my letter of call from you. It's dated, remember when we had this, uh, this is what the letterhead looked like? It's dated April uh, 28, 1998, and signed by church chairman George Leathers. It says, Dear Mr. Mitchell, On April 26, 1998, the congregation of the Lance Evangelical Free Church, Lance, Pennsylvania, voted to call you, Matthew C. Mitchell, to be senior pastor of the church. We praise the Lord for His faithfulness and look forward with anticipation having you and Heather ministering with us. We experience God's call through your call to us. And this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I've really felt it this month. Thank you for all your expressions of appreciation and especially for your prayers. However, being called by God is not just for ministry people like me, is it? It's not just vocational ministry people like myself who have a God-given vocation, is it? The other key place in the New Testament that connects up our work or roles or positions in life with this language of calling is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is one of the hardest passages in the whole Bible to interpret and to untangle. I preached a sermon once on it one Christmas and my eyes went cross-eyed just studying. It's got great stuff in it, but it's hard to access. A lot of 1 Corinthians 7 is about whether or not someone should get married or not, whether they're called to that, but also about whether or not they should try to change other things in their life, like being a slave or not. And in 1 Corinthians 7.17, Paul uses this language of calling, which we've learned, just learned is mostly about a relationship with God, also, and the language of assigning, which Paul also uses of spiritual gifts and ministry positions, to talk about the more regular everyday callings of life. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 7.17, Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which... God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Now again, there's a lot of details here, but I think it's helpful to see. Uh, Tim Keller, who wrote this book, excellent book called Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work, 
says this about this passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul counsels readers that when they become Christians, it is unnecessary to change what they're currently doing in life, their marital state, job, or social station, in order to live their lives before God in a way that pleases Him. Here Paul uses two religiously freighted words to describe ordinary work. Elsewhere, Paul has spoken of God calling people into a saving relationship with Him and assigning them spiritual gifts to do ministry and build up the Christian community. Paul uses these same two words here when he says that every Christian should remain in the work God has assigned to him and to which God called him. Yet Paul is not referring in this case to church ministries, but to common social and economic tasks, secular jobs, we might say, and naming them God's callings and assignments. Now that's really important. Okay? I know I've got some of you lost because of these long quotes, but bear with me. What your job is, is something God has assigned and called you to. I'm not the only one here with a calling. Sometimes somebody says, well, you have a calling. Okay? Yeah, I do. And so do you. In fact, my calling is not very different from any of yours. We are all called to work for Him. In fact, we all have multiple callings to work for Him. Not just one calling. Sometimes we think there's only this one calling. That calling is singular. What is your calling? But the idea of calling is bigger than that. We all have multiple callings to fulfill. I recommend this little book. It's in our church library called God at Work, Your Christian Vocation in All of Life by Gene Veith. In this book, uh, he says, uh, Veith says, Our vocation is not one single occupation. As has been said, we have callings in different realms. The workplace, yes, but also the family, the society, and the church. Someone who is retired may no longer be in the workplace, but he may still pursue his callings as a grandfather, a concerned citizen, and perhaps as an elder in his church. Some people find their callings in spheres other than the workplace. A woman who refuses a job so she can devote herself to her children. The independently wealthy man who does not need to work, so he devotes himself as a citizen to philanthropy. The elderly shut-in who devotes her energy as a Christian to prayer. He goes on to say, Furthermore, a person may hold multiple vocations within each type of vocation. In the family, a woman may have a calling to be a wife, which is a task in itself, but she may also have a calling to be a mother a vocation that involves different tasks in a different kind of relationship. In the workplace, a mid-level executive or a shop foreman might be a master to those he's supervising. At the very same time, he may be a servant to his supervisor. Both of these relationships entail different duties and kinds of service. Even the CEO of the company, the top boss, the master of all his employees, very likely is also a servant to the board of directors or the stockholders. Veith goes on to say, another aspect of our multiple vocations is that callings change. Catch that? Callings change. A young man working his way through college may get a job in a fast food restaurant. For the time being, that's his vocation. And he is to love and serve his customers and a shift manager by flipping hamburgers. If he's fortunate enough to be going to college, he also has the vocation of being a student, which has specific obligations of its own. Study. This is what I've been talking about with second graders. You have a vocation. Study. 
eventually he may get that computer degree and he may go into his life work. That will be his vocation then. And if his dot-com company goes bankrupt and he goes from vast wealth back to flipping burgers, he has a new vocation. At every stage, his calling is not something that will wait until he graduates or even until he gets that big promotion. Vocation is in the here and now. Is that helpful? It was to me when I read it. I think we've made this whole vocation thing both too small and too big. We've made it too small by thinking it's no big deal what we do. That we can just choose what we want and do what we want with our lives. As if we're the main actor in our life play. But if there's a calling, then there's a caller, right? It's not just what do you want to do with your life, but what does God want to do with your life? But I think we've also made it too big by trying to not see our callings in everything that we do, in the here and now. We're chasing after a calling. Today is Reformation Sunday, when the Protestant church celebrates the rediscovery of the gospel in the days of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Thank you, Amy Joe, for playing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther did a great job of breaking down the divide between the sacred and the secular with work. He was one of those early Christian leaders who said, there is no sacred and secular distinction. Everything is sacred. I call it the pie chart fallacy, right? You know, we like to divide up our lives into little pieces. This is my social life. Uh, This is my spiritual life. This is my uh, work life. But, But Jesus says the whole pie chart is spiritual, right? Everything in your life is spiritual. All of what we call secular callings are also actually sacred too. And that means that just about everything we do is our callings. We don't have to search high and low to find them. They're right here. So have I lost you yet? I told Heather yesterday that this was going to be the hardest message in this series to write, and it will probably be the worst as well. Because the Bible is full of the idea of God's call. But most of it isn't talking about how to find your callings, as in vocation or career. But that's still something we all want to know about, right? I mean, the practical question at the end of this message is, so how do I know what what work I should do? So how do I know what work I should do? I mean, I do have choices in this era in history. How do I make them? If the Bible doesn't say much about occupational callings, then how do I know what God wants me to do? Well, the good news is the Bible says a lot about decision making. Let me give you a few points as we close. Number one, pray. I hope that doesn't surprise you. James chapter 1 this morning says, uh, Tim McGill was sharing with us, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God loves to give wisdom about what work you should do. Just ask Him. Now ask Him in faith. It says we've got to ask in faith, not doubting. If you doubt, then you're an unstable man. Uh, or you're a, du- a double-minded man, unstable in all, the, all your ways. Ask in faith. Number two, look around. Mike Whitmer, I've been quoting this book a lot, World, Becoming Worldly Saints, Can You Serve Jesus and Still Enjoy Your Life? In his chapter uh, called What Is Your Call?, He writes, how do you know what God wants from you? Look at your callings. Where has God placed you? Whom are you obligated to serve? Our most important callings arise from our covenantal relationships. 
I am called to be a husband, father, son, brother, and church member. And each of these callings is too valuable to receive a paycheck. I would be insulted if my children, Avery or Landon, slipped me ten bucks for being their dad. Or my pastor gave me a kickback for inviting people to church. This will be essential to remember should you ever find yourself unemployed. You may not have a job at the moment, but your most valuable callings remain unchanged. Beyond your covenantal relationships, examine where you are in the world. Your job at a restaurant, as a restaurant server or sandwich artist may be a stepping stone to something else. But as long as you hold that job, it's precisely what God has called you to do. He says you are free in the Lord to change your paid job. And when you do, that new job becomes your new calling. The place where you can serve God by serving neighbor and contributing to culture. You can change callings because the pay is better. But the best moves tend to follow Frederick Buchner's advice. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What do you enjoy doing and what does the world need? It's your call. And that one hits on number three. Look at yourself. What do you love? What are you good at? How has God wired you? What are your experiences? What are your gifts? How have your experiences shaped you? If you're, if you're in this process of kind of trying to explore your callings, I recommend Ravi Zacharias' book, The Grand Weaver. Uh, his, the subtitle is How God Shapes Us Through the Events of Our Lives. And chapter 3 is about calling. It's called Your Calling Matters. If maybe you're considering a call to vocational ministry like what I do, I recommend Am I Called by Dave Harvey, The Summons to Pastoral Ministry. I gave this book to Hunter Galley this summer as he explores whether or not the Lord might have a vocational ministry calling on him. Everybody's made differently. Everybody is good at different things. Some things that you guys are good at, I'm terrible at. Other things I'm good at, you're terrible at. We see that in our, in our, in our families, right? I have four children, and they are like one another in some ways and very different from each other in others. How are you made? What flips your switch? Is, something, is it something that can pay the bills? Maybe that's a vocation for a paid job. Maybe it's an avocation, but still a call. Number four, ask others. Proverbs 24 says, A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war you need guidance, and for victory many advisors. My mom's job for many years was to be a career specialist at the local vocational school. It was my mom's calling to help others find their callings. I think, Lori, you, you do stuff like that all the time, right? In your calling. It's been one of my joys as your pastor to talk with many of you about vocational choices you're making. Get wisdom from other people. Don't try to do this on your own. Number five, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. This road to uncovering your callings is almost never a straight one. I've talked this week, I'm not joking, with five people who have had major unexpected left turns in their vocations. One guy thought he was going to be a pastor and isn't, at least not yet. One guy was a pastor and it didn't work out. And now he's in sales and he's doing really well. Another guy is looking at changing his major in college because what he's doing just doesn't seem to fit who he is. Ruth didn't expect to be called into being a widow this month. But now that's one of her callings. We often don't know what's in store. 
And God has a change in that calling in the wind. Tim, Tim McGill, who taught us in Sunday school this morning, has been faithfully pressing on as a missionary to college athletes for how many years? But now God has something different for him. Be ready for that. Don't think you know God's whole call on your life. He's got lots of surprises up his sleeve. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Number six, check the Scriptures. There are all kinds of jobs that are acceptable for Christians to do, but there are some that are not. Let me give you a short list. Thief. You can't start up a ministry called Thieves for Christ. Okay? Embezzler. I had, a, I had a buddy in high school who said he was going to start con men for Christ. They were going to be con men who did things for Jesus. I don't think so. Contract killer. Prostitute. Exotic dancer. Abortionist. Snake oil medicine man. Porn star. Wiccan priest. You get the picture? Any job where you have to sin regularly to do it is not a place where Christians are called by God to serve. And of course, there are many jobs where you have to be drawing some lines. Always check, what does the Bible say about that kind of work? And number seven, make decisions. Don't get so caught up in trying to mystically find the Lord's will that you miss it by letting the decisions pass you by. Remember, the Lord loves to give wisdom, so make your choices. If you're walking with the Lord and trying to follow His call, then you will. Don't get caught up in a spiritual tangle, trying to hear a special voice from heaven when the Lord is talking in so many ways all around you. Seek to glorify the Lord in all that you do, and you will live out your calling. Now my guess is that this message, a very different one than you normally hear, has raised more questions for some of you than it has answered. I'm okay with that today. Normally I like to answer questions, not just raise them. But we've got time for that. Living as a called person is a lifelong process of discovery. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's a lifelong process of discovering the callings God has on your life. And I'm here as your pastor to help you process your questions if you'd like that. Let me end by directing us to one verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's verse 11, and Paul tells them what he prays for them. This is his prayer, and I'm going to make it my prayer for you this morning. We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of His calling, and that by His power He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. It's a high calling. Dilbert has totally missed it. Right? We have received a calling to Him and then to Him, then through Him to do the callings that He has placed, assigned to us.